Welcome to Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we'll be discussing irreducible complexity. Over 20 years ago, in his book Darwin's Black Box, the biochemist Michael Behe gave an old concept the new name of irreducible complexity. Irreducible complexity is the notion that some biomolecular structures could not have evolved because their functionality requires many interacting parts, each of which on their own is entirely useless. Only all the parts together can produce the function. To quote Behe, irreducible complexity is just a fancy phrase I use to mean a single system which is composed of several interacting parts and where the removal of any one of the parts causes the system to cease functioning. Michael Behe is a proponent of intelligent design, and his particular angle on ID relates to his area of expertise, biochemistry. As Kenneth Miller observed, the notion of irreducible complexity is a biochemical update of the argument from design. Instead of more general structures in nature, or nature itself, we're talking about bacterial flagella and blood clotting cascades. And let's take a step back for a moment. Evolution proceeds only by gradual changes over time. By definition, an irreducibly complex system lacking a single part is non-functional. Like if I ripped a hose out of your car's engine. The cell is filled with complicated machines, and these machines are made of parts. And on Behe's account, the parts have no function on their own. Every individual part of a system, sometimes dozens and dozens of parts, need to be in place for the system to serve any purpose. Evolution has no foresight. Every intermediate step would have to increase genetic fitness. But according to Behe, these intermediate steps don't increase fitness. So how did they get there? If something truly is irreducibly complex, it couldn't have evolved by natural selection alone. And just to be sure we have a firm grasp on the argument being made, let me quote Behe one more time. By irreducibly complex, I mean a single system composed of several well-matched, interacting parts that contribute to the basic function, wherein the removal of any one of the parts causes the system to effectively cease functioning. An irreducibly complex system cannot be produced by slight, successive modifications of a precursor system, because any precursor to an irreducibly complex system is by definition non-functional. An irreducibly complex biological system, if there is such a thing, would be a powerful challenge to Darwinian evolution. End quote. And Darwin himself wrote, If it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been formed by numerous, successive, slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down. However, Darwin's next sentence was, But I can find out no such case. And to this very day, no such case has been found out. Every alleged instance of irreducible complexity has not met Darwin's criteria, as is the case with the favored examples of the eye, bacterial flagellum, and blood clotting cascade. Plausible naturalistic accounts of the gradual evolution of each of these supposedly irreducibly complex systems have been offered. Whether their evolution involved gradual improvement of the same function, as was the case with the eye, or exaptation, where structures that evolved to serve one function are repurposed for different functions. The bottom line is that there has never been one confirmed example of irreducible complexity in nature. A well-understood concept in evolutionary biology that critically undermines Behe's idea is exaptation, 
the process by which nature retools existing structures for new function, and as biologist Nathan Luntz puts it, possibly the most common mechanism that leads to the false impression of irreducible complexity. End quote. Exaptation undermines the notion of irreducible complexity on theoretical grounds because it can account for systems that may look irreducibly complex at first glance. Exaptation also has empirical support. We know it happens out in the real world. The panda's thumb, derived from a wrist bone spur, is a classic example, and so are feathers, which originally belonged to flightless ancestors, perhaps for warmth or reasons of sexual selection, and only later came to aid in flight. Exaptation falls under the umbrella of adaptation, it's just a specific kind of adaptation. As Dan Dennett puts it, if you go back far enough, you'll find that every adaptation has developed from predecessor structures, each of which has some other use, or no use at all. End quote. The utility of the term is that it makes the point that a trait's current function does not necessarily explain its historical origin. It's wrong to assume that if a predecessor trait can't perform the function it's performing currently, it couldn't have performed any advantageous function. Intermediate steps could have led to some other adaptive function, sometimes entirely different functions. In addition to acceptation, another problem for irreducible complexity are cases of gradual improvement of the same function. The eye is often touted as an example of irreducible complexity, despite the fact that its evolution is reasonably well understood, and that we even have different stages of eye evolution in living organisms. One one-hundredth of our current eye's function will be more adaptive than no vision at all, as would one-half, or three-quarters, of the function of our current eye. To quote Richard Dawkins, Creationists who attempt to deploy the argument from improbability in their favor always assume that biological adaptation is a question of the jackpot or nothing. Another name for the jackpot or nothing fallacy is irreducible complexity. Either the eye sees or it doesn't. Either the wing flies or it doesn't. There are assumed to be no useful intermediates, but this is simply wrong. Such intermediates abound in practice, which is exactly what we should expect in theory. And Dawkins continues, A cataract patient with the lens of her eye surgically removed can't see clear images without glasses, but can see enough not to bump into a tree or fall over a cliff. Half a wing is indeed not as good as a whole wing, but it's certainly better than no wing at all. Half a wing could save your life by easing your fall from a tree of a certain height, and 51% of a wing could save you if you fall from a slightly taller tree. Whatever fraction of a wing you have, there is a fall from which it will save your life where a slightly smaller winglet would not. End quote. So when it comes to systems that creationists have decreed to be irreducibly complex, we can use gradualism or acceptation as a theoretical explanation of their evolution. And of course, there's empirical support for these processes as well, in nature generally, but also in specific cases that ID proponents have mistakenly claimed to be irreducibly complex. There's the example of antifreeze proteins in the blood of arctic fish, or the case of the gradual evolution of the wing, where we can observe in the present many organisms that can glide or parachute using winglets like the ones Dawkins described. The eye is another clear case of gradual improvement, supported in theory and empirically. Stephen Woodford gave us a useful synopsis of the eye's gradual evolution. The most basic of eyes are called eye spots, and they're found in even single-celled organisms such as Eugelina. These eye spots are essentially photoreceptive proteins that can sense light and shadows but can't form an image. And while they might be crude, they nevertheless provide a massive advantage for detecting the lights of predators. 
Cup eyes, which can be found in organisms such as planarian worms, are basically a curved sheet of eye spots that due to their curvature possess the capacity to detect the direction of light and shadows, which obviously is a huge improvement to eye spots. Pin eyes, which are found in organisms such as the Nautilus, are the result of cup eyes progressively curving to make a circle, which enables the organism to see distinct but blurry images. And lens eyes, which organisms such as the human possess, are pin eyes that have evolved a transparent sphere of gunge at the pin of the eye, which focuses light beams by means of refraction. This might sound like a big jump, but to quote Dawkins, to get a really good image you do need a decently curved lens, but any old bit of gunge which is transparent will do, if it's just approximately curved. Not only do we know that biological systems such as the eye can evolve by natural selection, we actually have different stages of eye evolution in living organisms. Let's look at one of the most common examples of alleged irreducible complexity, the bacterial flagellum. Behe argues that machines like the bacterial flagellum never could have arisen by natural selection. It's a complex structure that involves the interaction of multiple proteins, and the function of the entire thing is lost if a single one of the 30 or so proteins is inactivated. Many different bacteria have the flagellum in question, which is an outboard propeller that moves the bacterium in various directions. Behe argues that none of the 30 to 40 proteins provide a selective advantage on their own. Only all together do they provide the adaptive function of the machine. Thus, we have an example of irreducible complexity. The argument rests on the claim that the individual proteins, or subgroups of proteins belonging to the bacterial flagellum, have no useful function of any other sort, so they couldn't have evolved stepwise by natural selection. However, this claim is undermined by the fact that acceptation, when existing structures are used for new function, provides a simple theoretical account of the flagellum. Additionally, we have empirical support for the stepwise evolution of the bacterial flagellum. Subgroups of the 30 or so proteins have been observed to perform functions other than propel the bacteria. Behe's assertions regarding the bacterial flagellum have been easily refuted, simply by observing bacteria that use some of the proteins in question for other purposes, unrelated to the propeller function. For example, Francis Collins, devout Christian and head of the Human Genome Project, wrote in 2006, quote, Recent research has fundamentally undercut Behe's position. Specifically, comparison of protein sequences from multiple bacteria has demonstrated that several components of the flagellum are related to an entirely different apparatus used by certain bacteria to inject toxins into other bacteria that they are attacking. This apparatus provides a clear survival of the fittest advantage to organisms that possess it. Presumably, the elements of this structure were duplicated hundreds of millions of years ago and then recruited for new use. By combining this with other proteins that had previously been carrying out simpler functions, the entire motor was ultimately generated. It now seems likely that many examples of irreducible complexity are not irreducible after all, and that the primary scientific argument for ID is thus in the process of crumbling, suggesting that ID proponents have made the mistake of confusing the unknown with the unknowable, or the unsolved with the unsolvable. End quote. Here, Collins is not only undermining the poster child for irreducible complexity, the bacterial flagellum, but he's also identifying the god-of-the-gaps reasoning that creationists and ID proponents engage in to support their arguments. Anyone invoking irreducible complexity is relegating to the supernatural what will, if history is any guide, eventually come to be understood as natural. 
Biochemical machines will go the way of earthquakes, illnesses, the movement of the planets, the tides going in and out, and so on. Even in the brief lifetime of irreducible complexity, there have been numerous cautionary tales. If you claim specific examples of biological systems are irreducibly complex and succeed in spreading your message, you're only hurting your own cause in the long run, or maybe the not-so-long run. One of the many reasons irreducible complexity isn't taken seriously by the vast majority of scientists is because specific examples have been refuted that were given by proponents of ID, and advances have been made in our understanding of systems that Behe himself claimed were irreducibly complex, like the bacterial flagellum and the blood clotting cascade. When discoveries are made and pieces are added to the puzzle, what had been relegated to the supernatural will be firmly in the domain of the natural, thereby adding yet another example of theists attributing to God whatever it is we don't understand at this point in history. This, over time, has been described by philosophers as the God of the gaps. If, if that's how you, if that's where you're going to put your God in this world, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. If the only reason why you're saying it's because it's a mystery, then get ready to have that undone. ID proponents never present convincing evidence that the intermediate states couldn't have been adaptive in the environments of the time. They just reiterate their personal incredulity ad nauseum. For example, Behe asserts that blood clotting is irreducibly complex, despite the fact that biologist Kenneth Miller, who's a Catholic by the way, has provided a comprehensive account of how the blood clotting cascade could have evolved stepwise by natural selection. Behe waves this explanation away and claims that there's no empirical support for the explanation. Miller simply gave a plausible account of how the blood clotting cascade could have arisen naturally. In other words, the very thing that Behe claims shouldn't be possible for irreducibly complex systems. In spite of the evidence and potential explanations that have been repeatedly brought to Behe's attention, he doesn't accept the evolutionary accounts by and large, and he disparages them as just-so stories. A just-so story in the context of evolutionary biology or psychology is an unverified narrative of how things could have happened, though no actual evidence is provided, no prediction is made, and no way of testing the hypothesis is offered. This charge is utterly false, and is a last-ditch effort on Behe's part. And let's turn to the explanation that he's offering. In reference to biological complexity, isn't God did it the ultimate just-so story? It's an unverified narrative of how things could have happened, though no actual evidence is provided, no prediction is made, and no way of testing the hypothesis is offered. Apparently, Behe thinks that Darwinian evolution, one of the most powerfully predictive and well-supported ideas in scientific history, is less testable and evidence-based than his very scientific idea that God did it. And how did God end up in this conversation anyway? I thought we were talking about the limits of natural selection. Intelligent design proponents start with their conclusion and work backwards from there. Behe is doing nothing more than appealing to his personal incredulity and his intuition that a conscious agent must be responsible for complexity. Not a single example of irreducible complexity has survived scrutiny, but if we assume that there are examples of it in nature, it would still be fallacious to infer design from that fact alone. We can't infer design from irreducible complexity, even if it were to be established beyond a reasonable doubt that a system was, in fact, irreducibly complex. Strictly speaking, all it proves is that there is something else in addition to natural selection causing evolution. Poking holes in the most popular naturalistic version of the story doesn't mean your model is correct by default. A positive case needs to be made, and the positive case for the inference to design is deeply flawed. It can be challenged on logical grounds, as David Hume pointed out 250 years ago, 
and knowledge from biology and psychology also lowers the credence we should have in it. That probably deserves its own episode, but setting all that aside, we can't accept the false dichotomy they're setting up here. Asserting that natural selection couldn't have created System X doesn't mean intelligent design is correct. Many biologists aren't strict Darwinians, yet they have no sympathy for intelligent design. And many Darwinians think there are other processes at work driving evolution in addition to natural selection. In fact, it's the conventional wisdom. So even if natural selection alone couldn't have caused X, Y, or Z, that doesn't mean an intelligent designer did it because there aren't only two options. yet answered an interesting question. How would one confirm an example of irreducible complexity? As I mentioned, every example of alleged irreducible complexity has been thoroughly debunked, but how would we know an irreducibly complex system if we found one? This turns out to be a huge problem for Behe. He has an answer to the question, but it's a terrible answer. Here's his criterion for identifying an irreducibly complex system. If the system or structure is comprised of, quote, a purposeful arrangement of parts. So how can we tell if an arrangement of parts is purposeful? I guess we just ask Michael Behe since he apparently knows it when he sees it. But if we don't have the good fortune of being Michael Behe, we can know an arrangement of parts is purposeful, according to him, if it's, quote, ordered to perform some function. Function does not equal purpose. You would simply be assuming a designer if you take function to imply a conscious mental intention to achieve a goal. A function simply describes what something does, with no bigger implication of purpose. Evolution is a blind process which has no goal for the future, and yet adaptive functions can emerge, creating the illusion of purpose in design for beings like ourselves. Sometimes teleological language is used by biologists as a shorthand way of talking about function, but that's a byproduct of human psychology rather than a reflection of the actual state of the science. Behe would do well to absorb this point in his obnoxious response post to Jerry Coyne's criticism of his new book, Behe writes, so Coin can't think of a purpose for an eye, or for the leg gears of a plant hopper, or for the supercharged flagellum of the bacterium MO1? That's funny, the authors of the science papers on those systems that I cite in the book seem to have had no trouble identifying their purpose. End quote. The authors might have used teleological language as a convenient shorthand, but again, they're just talking about function. Behe's point here about purposeful language would be akin to a flat earther claiming that a scientist who used the word sunrise implicitly accepts geocentric cosmology. It's a shorthand that's based in human psychology. Function doesn't imply purpose, that's the crucial point. Behe isn't identifying purpose, he's identifying function. And Darwin provided a naturalistic account of how parts that are arranged to perform some function could arise without design. Function can increase the fitness of an organism, so function would be selected for with no purpose-giving designer involved. We can't automatically take function to imply purpose, since purpose implies design, and that's what we're trying to figure out in the first place. Purpose can only come from a mind, so to assert that function implies purpose is to smuggle in the concept of a designer without ever arguing for it. So to sum up, Behe says that we can know something is irreducibly complex if it has a purposeful arrangement of parts. We know it's a purposeful arrangement of parts if they're ordered to perform some function. So the concept of irreducible complexity fundamentally rests on question-begging, assuming a designer at the beginning without ever making a case for one. We're going in a circle. How do we know a system is irreducibly complex? If its parts are purposefully ordered, that is, ordered to perform some function. But natural selection can order parts that perform a function. So how do we distinguish? 
According to Behe, some systems are purposeful and some are non-purposeful. So how do we differentiate between the two? Well, the ones that are irreducibly complex are purposeful. But how do we know if it's irreducibly complex? Well, if it has a purposeful arrangement of parts. So let's go around that circle one more time. It's irreducibly complex if it's purposeful. It's purposeful if it performs a function. We know natural selection didn't create this function because it's irreducibly complex. Irreducible complexity, purpose, function, irreducible complexity, purpose, function, and so on and so forth. Irreducible complexity is a flawed concept that's easily answered with gradualism and acceptation. And these processes do not constitute just-so stories. There is empirical support for their active hand in evolution. Sometimes in specific cases that creationists have claimed are examples of irreducible complexity. Behe doesn't adequately deal with this fact. He also doesn't acknowledge the cautionary tales involving prematurely labeling systems as irreducibly complex that are later discovered to be reducible. The only option left to establish a system as irreducibly complex is to cast doubt on the specific naturalistic versions of the evolution of the system in question. But this is ultimately unsatisfying, because it's simply an argument from ignorance or personal incredulity. Maybe we don't know every detail of how something evolved, but we're justified in thinking that it evolved if we have a high credence in evolution generally. And even Behe recognizes that evolution does account for nearly everything we see. He just thinks a handful of examples are irreducibly complex. And that's why he hones in on blood clotting mechanisms and other specific examples, because evolution has been plainly demonstrated to explain pretty much everything else, even to his satisfaction. So for these handful of examples that are supposedly irreducibly complex, all we have is a belabored exercise of question-begging and circular reasoning and arguing from ignorance. And it should also be noted that for every alleged example of irreducible complexity in nature, plausible evolutionary accounts have been offered to the satisfaction of everyone who isn't married to the idea of God having a hand in evolution. This brings us to another flaw in the general outlook of an ID proponent who's invoking irreducible complexity. Special pleading. Special pleading is exempting something from a rule or principle without justifying why it's an exception. ID advocates are proposing a general rule or principle, namely that anything complex or irreducibly complex would never arise without intelligence, and their special pleading involves their God. God isn't a bit of inanimate matter or something equivalently simple. He's a highly ordered, intelligent mind that's more complex than we can fathom. He's at least more complex than we are, and we're apparently too complex to have arisen without a designer. We're also supposed to be made in the image of God, so we know there's some analogy between ourselves and God. If we accept the proposed creationist principle, it's reasonable to ask, who created God? This question seems to irritate theists quite a bit, and what they don't seem to realize is that who created God is a rhetorical question. We're not actually asking for the identity of a creator. The question is intended to point out the special pleading involved in claiming the universe needs a creator, but God does not. If your claim is that complex function requires an intelligent designer, or irreducible complexity requires a designer, you need to either argue that God doesn't perform any complex functions, define complexity in such a way that somehow excludes God, somehow argue that God is simpler than we are, or abandon your argument and accept that a designer is a nonsensical explanation, equivalent to believing a homunculus is perched inside your head, driving you around. Who created God is a rhetorical question. In the same exact way, who's in the homunculus's head is a rhetorical question. Creationists are giving us an explanation that, like a homunculus, leads to an infinite regress. To escape this, 
they violate their own principle without providing a justification for doing so, and without ever establishing why complexity requires a designer in the first place. That's all I have for you today, and I have a new patron to thank, Tylan Watkins. Thank you, Tylan. And I'd like to thank my patron Hall of Fame, Jesta, Phil Stillwell, Richard Crossan, Nathan Grounds, and Pre-Nifty. And you can support this show on a per-episode basis at patreon.com counter where you can earn early access to every episode and access to bonus episodes. If you don't have the money to support on Patreon, but you still want to choke to death with your intelligently designed eating slash breathing hole, you can add me on Facebook, leave a five-star review, or tell your friends about the podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by the band Whalers. The song is called Magic Tricks and was used with permission. Thank you for joining me today. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.